Hello and welcome to the 21st Rewrite. I'm William Coldwell and I would just like to begin this week's episode with a few announcements. So to begin with, we are now going to be moving on to a new release schedule and releasing episodes every two weeks. Initially what we wanted to do is build up a decent catalogue so there'd be enough episodes when you find the podcast so that you have a few things to try out. But ultimately, there is so much research that we do that goes into every single one of our episodes, it's just not feasible to do one every single week. We tend to read all of the source material for a particular project, such as the book it was based on. This week, we are going to be looking at the screenplay for Sideways, which was a massive independent hit back in 2004. And now that I've been editing this episode and getting it ready for you, I've been thinking about a few things I've seen in the news recently. So a couple of things came up on my feed yesterday. First of all, from IndieWire, Captain Marvel Weekend 2, half of all moviegoers in the United States went to see that one film. At the same time, Michael Seepley at Deadline wrote an article, can there really be too many movies in the streaming era? Maybe. And he refers to a point in the mid-1980s when studios were getting worried because there was something like 450 films coming out annually for theatrical releases in the United States. Now, obviously, having more films is a good thing. However... Some of the statistics are slightly worrying, especially when you compare this to the massive success of of certain blockbusters. So it's looking like there'll be something like 917, close to 1,000 new films released this year. Of these, less than 100 will make more than $25 million at the box office. And then over 50% of the films released this year will make less than $200,000 in ticket sales. So what I was thinking about is, you have these big monster films, and there's nothing wrong with liking Captain Marvel or any other big blockbuster, but what if we had a system slightly like what we do with airlines, where we have carbon footprint offsetting? What if every time we go to a massive hit film, we also go and check out a nice one at our independent local cinema as well? Then we can kind of offset the carbon footprint of this really distorted way that the industry is going. Because ultimately what we want is really creative, independent voices coming to the fore. And I was really thinking about this this week simply because of this episode we have done for Sideways. Sideways is independent cinema at its finest and is the exact opposite of a huge blockbuster. There are many, many different ways to support films. For example, here in San Diego, we have many, many small uh, film festivals, and I'm sure events like this are taking place all around the world. It's just something to think about at the start of this week. Ensuring the right kind of support goes to the projects that need it most. And with that in mind, I'm thinking about my own podcast as well. I do hope to get a lot more audience engagement. I do want to hear what you have to say about the show. Currently, we're available on the Podbean app, and there is a comment section there where you can get in contact with us. And over the course of the year, we're going to expand that to include various other methods. 
Another thing I need to say before we get started on this episode is that I am going to flag it as having explicit content. A lot of the time we that we were talking about this film, quotes came up from the movie in which we had to swear to repeat them. And I think we took a bit more of a relaxed attitude when discussing this one, because it really is a comedy at heart. So if you are listening to the podcast in the car or in the home with your kids around, it's probably best that you don't listen to this one on full blast. And uh, just enjoy it with your headphones on at work or something like that, because there are a few occasional bad words during the course of the recording. So Sideways was a really interesting screenplay for us to review because it's based on a book by Rex Pickett and it was adapted for the screen by Jim Taylor and Alexander Payne. Alexander Payne was also the director of the film. So Sideways is a fantastic story. It's about a man named Miles Raymond who is in his 40s. He's a struggling author who just can't seem to get published and he's stuck in a job which he hates and his best friend Jack is getting married, and they go on this road trip together up to the wine country and enjoy those last few days before Jack gets married and he's going to be tied down. And, of course, everything changes for these characters as a result of this trip. It's a really interesting adaptation, and the book was a great read as well. In the film version, Miles was played by Paul Giamatti, is a fantastic comedy actor with incredible timing and Thomas Hayden Church played Jack Sandra Oh and Virginia Madsen star as the two love interests and the film established itself as the exemplary indie movie for the next 10 years or so other ones you'll be thinking of such as Little Miss Sunshine and Juno and and these kind of films They all did that in the shadow of Sideways. So it's a really great film to look back at, especially considering that the film is now almost 15 years old. One of the things we love to do on the 21st rewrite is consider where we are in the 21st century, and Sideways really did start out the new millennium in terms of what we were going to expect from independent cinema from the United States after that point. So, without further ado, here's the episode. Hello, and welcome to The 21st Rewrite, a podcast about screenplays from the 21st century and the process of writing them. I'm William Coldwell, and as always, I am joined by my good friend and co-host, Alan Vasquez. Hi, and today we are going to be talking about the wonderful Sideways, written by Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor, based on the book by Rex Pickett. So this film came out in 2004, and I hadn't seen it for a good while and watching it again uh, I was reminded how much I love love this film and I was able to really capture things I wasn't able to see before and I think it's a wonderfully complex little film I don't know if we should start with the wine metaphors but (laughs) does it it get better with age it definitely gets better with age it must be like a beautiful wonderful Pinot Noir exactly yeah (laughs) We will not um, overdo it with the wine metaphors, but right. I I just saw that one coming, <laughs> and I just no, had, good to, job. I had yeah. to say it. I had to say no, it. No, thank you. Yeah. 
it was the indie darling when it came out. It spurred an interest in independent cinema in America again, I think, and followed by things like Little Miss Sunshine. Yes. Came shortly afterwards. Apparently, it affected both Pinot Noir and Merlot sales. That's right. Positive for Pinot and negative for isn't that for crazy? Merlot. Yes. I think it probably attracted a lot of wine enthusiasts. It attracted the intelligentsia people who yeah. who want to be cultured and and watch the the films that are on and then go out for dinner and have a nice wine and good conversation. Yeah. And and the great thing about it is like I'm not a very big wine enthusiast. Like I love wine. I I personally love Cabernet, but I don't I feel like the film really went into detail about the wines. Like they really know what they're talking about, the characters and uh, mm-hmm. But it does not to the point where it alienates someone who doesn't know anything about wine. In fact, quite the opposite. I was like leaning in the whole time, just like so mesmerized by the details about how to make the wine and, you know, the different uh, complexities of the taste and all of that. Uh, I think wine is a character in the film for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, both of us have read the book as well. Mm-hmm. So that's 350 pages of someone praising the whole concept yeah. of wine and talking about all these different flavors and sensations and, and right. smells that are contained within. And obviously it does just make you want to go out to the wine valley and, and go exploring. It's an adventure movie, yeah. even though it might not seem the most adventurous thing in the world. It yeah. definitely turns into a big adventure for, for the characters. And it's very similar to the book. There's obviously some things that they left out, for example, I think the biggest change for me was the character of Stephanie in the book. It's Tara, mm-hmm. uh, and she's white and freckled in the book. In the film, she's played by Sandra Oh, who's Asian-American. I feel like the name change was, to me, a bit of a bit of a letdown. It took away something that I thought was quite poetic in the story, because mm. you have Maya, and the name Maya is, is like the soul or spirit. And then you have Terra, which is the earth. So Interesting. both things are kind of related to wine as well. They're both wine metaphors wow, because okay. wine grows in the earth. It absorbs flavors through the soil. And then you also have this Maya, this kind of spiritual thing, which, right. which is definitely kind of Miles's approach towards his drinking. He, he sees it as being able to give him these transcendent experiences mm-hmm. because he's he's quite depressed as well. So it, it kind of is that last little light shining in his, his life in a way. And changing mm. the name to Stephanie, I just, to me, that just took out a tiny bit of the poetry from. Interesting. I but can see that yeah. now. Yeah. This is something we, maybe we'll just address it straight away, that some of the changes to the script Mm-hmm. came from Sandra O oh herself, who was, I think, engaged to Alexander Payne at the time. I, or, I think they were married. Or the they'd time. already got married, yeah. and that marriage didn't last. Rex Pickett, after the divorce, did speak out about some of the changes, saying that they were made specifically by Sandra O, oh, and he didn't like them. Interesting. And the name change was one. The motorcycle was another. The motorcycle works, I think, because it replaces a scene with a gun in the book, which is harder to explain 
just people shooting guns in the Wine Valley. This is California. It's not. It's not other parts of the U.S. If if a bullet right. is shot, like the police will be there. <laughs> These guys. I don't know how you'd explain away just like shooting guns in the air and things like that. But yeah. Oh, the other thing that he didn't like was the introduction of the child and the scene in the bowling alley. All of them are just things that were changed in the the Terra Stephanie character. Gotcha. I think ultimately, though, I think they kind of embody the same sort of essential character traits. Yeah. I think it's essentially it is kind of the same character. It's just of course, the, yeah. there's just details that are a little bit different from the book. And I think we should also mention regarding that gun that you're mm-hmm. that you're talking about. It's, it's all part of a side story. Yeah, there's include, a whole yeah. sequence in the book that's not in the film and that's when they go boar hunting, boar I think hunting. it is. Yes. And th- I mean it's a really funny which is also how sequence. Jack gets hurt yeah. a few times. Yeah. Uh, Jack gets hurt a lot in both in the, the film and the book, but in different ways. Right. But yeah, that was a really funny sequence. And I can see why they cut it out. They really it didn't really move the story forward. And mm-hmm. they introduced another side character. And I think it was really a, a good move for them to just focus on the four um, instead of adding another And one. what I will say to, towards the Sandro changes, the, the best change is the introduction of the child that, that Stephanie has a kid. Because it immediately gives you the sense that Jack is getting too close too fast and he's getting himself wrapped up in this woman's life and he's going to cause more pain to her. So that that comes across as more significant if she's got a small child and he's bonding with the child. That's true. So There's that, more at stake there. There was more at yeah. stake and it explains the reaction and the just yeah. how bad his lying is. We'll probably throughout this episode kind of compare the characters to their book counterparts yeah and and think about exactly why those changes were made to in the screenplay in particular uh to two characters but we can start right at the beginning yeah let's go back to where it does we... have a slightly different start miles yeah. in the book wakes up in his rent controlled apartment in los angeles mm-hmm and in the script, he's in San Diego. Yeah, they, they, I was wondering about that change. So actually, in the book, there's a whole beginning sequence that's not in the film. Mm-hmm. It's implied in the film. So this, the book starts with Miles at a tasting, and he's just engaging with different characters that are there, mm-hmm. and characters we don't ever see again. But through his interaction with these characters, we get a sense of who Miles is, and we should also know in the book it's all from his perspective. So it's we're inside his head the yep. entire book. So uh, that must have been great for Paul Giamatti. Like mm-hmm. he's got this wealth of information for his character, who did an amazing job. And so yeah, so that whole beginning, you know, he's living in L.A. He's not living in San Diego. And I think the reason why they might have changed it is because it kind of gives it a more of a road trip vibe to it. Like if you start in L.A., go to Santa Barbara, that's not much of a road trip. Maybe that's the reason why I really don't know. But I think it gives it a different feel. Because, I mean, to me, like, I don't know why they would, what other reason they would change it for. I can I can see one other reason why, mm. which is to, full disclosure, we are both in San Diego, and this is where we live. So, yes, San Diego. I'm, I'm not putting down San Diego, but definitely people in L.A. Miles in the film is this failure. And he's stuck teaching middle school English. And maybe they just thought, well, where's an unappealing place to be living? We'll put him <laughs> in San Diego. 
I I don't well, know if that's it's not an appealing not place, but for an artist, yes. Yeah. It's definitely what a screenwriter in LA might do though. Yeah. Just just a little jab at, at San Diego just for the sake of it. Those um fuckers. the other <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the other possibility is simply that within the book he is meant to be someone who has had a flirtation with the film industry. Yes. And in the film that is not the case and they've kind of removed all of the LA glamour from around well the opposite of glamour really with in Miles's case but yeah Jack is still an actor and still lives in LA but with Miles it's the opposite he's still in San, San Diego it's like he didn't make it out he he kind of just went through life uh from college started mm. teaching and he's he's always had these big ambitions of of writing a book and he's written a couple, but they just never mm-hmm. really got anywhere. And when we start the the film and the book, he's waiting for his agent to to call him and let him know the fate of the book. Because there's some people that are interested in the book, but he hasn't. He doesn't know if they're gonna go with it or not. And so far, they haven't. So that's that lingers throughout the entire film. There's that sort of uh, MacGuffin, if you will. Is he going to get published or is he not going to get published? And the other thing, too, is that in the book, Jack is actually a director as well. And he's really much more involved in the film industry as well. Mm -hmm. And in the book, they had collaborated before on a film where Jack was the director and and Miles was the screenwriter. And it all just went really bad. And they lost their investors' money and everything. So that was like their one shot that they kind of blew, Mm -hmm. I guess. So yeah, so these are very normal characters in terms of like, you know, they have their dreams, they have their ambitions. And I think the film really speaks to a lot of uh, starving artists it's, uh, it's where they find themselves in. It's, you know, they're not, they're just waiting for their big break. They're putting in the work and they're really going for it, working hard, but it's just not paying off in the way they want it to be. And I think even though they're middle-aged men, I remember watching the film when I did watch it, I was in high school. I could relate to it on that level, even mm-hmm. though they were much older than me. It's, and it's much unfulfilled more potential. Yeah. And it's the the whole story of Sideways is a hard read for for me in particular, I think, mm. I, because I'm seeing it from that perspective of, oh, will my career fail too? Right. Considering the age that I'm at, the age that you're at, that there is that kind of s- creeping sensation as right. you're reading it. It's it's like, am I going to be a Miles one day? <laughs> Are we going to be at a winery ten years from now? Like exactly, <laughs> and and it's what you don't want to happen. But right, Miles in particular, it's also his attitude, his yeah. attitude to life. It, yeah. He's completely depressed, mm-hmm. and he's certainly not able to see all of the good in life anymore part of the reason why that is and it's the same in the book and in the film uh is that he had a divorce the only difference is that in the book i think it's only been a year in the film it's two years but nonetheless it's a recent divorce and he's reeling from that you know we get little glimpses at least more so in the book as to sort of what he went through before you know when he's explaining his book we'll talk about this later on but uh, a clue to his character for me as well was when he's explaining to Maya the book when they're talking about what he writes and they kind of touch on his relationship with his father. His father was sick for a long time. And uh, so there's little hints as to he's probably not had the easiest life. 
he's at a job that he doesn't particularly enjoy. And I think it's it should speak to, I think, a lot of Americans, or well, people in general, I think, you know, who are at a certain age and they're not living the life that they thought that they were going to live. Yeah. But what I admire in Miles is that he's still going for it in a way. You know, he's still writing. He's still, yeah, he gets depressed. But I think I, it's kind of charming the way he owns it. You know, he doesn't really try to hide the fact that he's depressed. Mm-hmm. Him and Jack are always going back and forth on this. And Jack's always trying to bring him up. And it is a very, like, sort of a yin-yang relationship between the two of them. Because Jack is the total opposite of Miles. And so they kind of complement each other. But through that contrast, you get to see sort of how how Miles is at that other end of the spectrum. But he's still trying. And I think that's kind of charming. You know, he's still... He's still doing his best, and when he's sad or anything, you know, he owns it. He doesn't really try to pretend otherwise, and I really like that about his character. Miles struggles to communicate yeah. with yeah. other people, right? And that's why he comes across. Jack says he's always been a downer. He's mm-hmm. he's always been this way, even even when they were in college. Mm-hmm. But Miles is able to communicate in two other ways. He's able to write. That's we don't ever see his his writing, but right. I think they say it's something like eight hundred and fifty pages, the the latest book. So he's he's got a lot in him that he can't get out just through conversation and through yeah through meeting people. He's he's kind of keeping his his emotions down through the drinking, and then in the scene you yep. just mentioned where he's talking to Meyer about his book, you. Right, you get a sense of what his what he is like because he's he struggles to explain what the book is about, yeah. and he comes across it's the perfect kind of caricature of this unappreciated writer because when you ask them, well, what do you write about? They give you this long meandering. Yeah. Art. They can't. When you meet someone like this, you'll know it. They can't tell you what they're actually writing about, yep. and you think, well, if you've spent so long, like two years, working on this. You should be able to tell me straight away in a minute what your book is about. Right. And even the title, and that's one of the great bits of comedy in the in the screenplay. The title of the book is The Day After Yesterday. And Maya just says, you mean today? Right. <laughs> and he, he just does this little double take of, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's no. been trying to be poetic the whole time. And right. it just means today after all today yeah and and i am miles in the sense of whenever someone asks me oh what's the what are you writing about like i completely identified with him in that moment of like trying to explain something and it's just not coming out and i i mean i think every writer kind of can identify with that i think when you're trying to do a synopsis or a one-liner of whatever it is that you're writing so so going back to the beginning so miles and Jack. So Jack is about to get married a week mm-hmm. from the starting point of the film. So and it's, a, it's a critical juncture in both of their lives. Yeah. Miles has just got through a divorce and Jack is just about to get married. They're, right. they're meant to contrast against each other, but what you would assume would happen is that the single guy is the one who's out looking to meet other women. And the guy who's about to get married just wants to have. I didn't even think of that. A last yeah, week right. of freedom, mm-hmm. and obviously that's that's flipped on its head. Yep. Jack is the one who can't seem to control himself, and right. uh, that that's a very interesting part of his character because in the book, at least Rex Pickett's version of Jack, 
it, it's slightly more justified because there's this sense that he and his fiance have been cheating on each other a lot and they've got one of these unstable relationships where they they kind of break off they go off and cheat with someone yeah this has been going on in the film he's just a bastard he's got this loving wife at home right this (laughs) this fiance about to be his wife at home and he's just cheating on her and that was one of the things also when reading the script that i noticed they didn't really i don't know if they filmed the scenes that they omitted from the script so in the script there's a couple of scenes of jack talking to christine his fiance on the phone mm-hmm. that was not in the film there's a couple of them and i think it was interesting to see i mean i was wondering why would they cut that portion from the film because it kind of explains not that it justifies his no. behavior at all i'm not saying that not in the same way that having this tumultuous relationship in the past and, and other does. yeah yeah but it kind of gives you a sense of like how sort of he's being pushed or being she she seems to be a little bit too much 20 minutes into the road trip she calls him and she uses the excuse of the wedding or asking a question about the wedding when in reality you can feel the clinginess i guess Mm -hmm. that's the word i'm looking for so there's a certain clinginess that i think might be a factor that's but then again, it just seems to be his character as well. Yeah. Whether that would have he's, been there or he's not. He's rebelling against the control. And the the version of Jack from the novel, he's kind of decided with Babs, which is the name of the fiance right. in the in the novel. Yeah. They've kind of decided together that if they get married, they'll both get a lot of money from her parents and a house, and they can kind of form a union of kind of unholy matrimony as it were <laughs> as a <laughs> yeah as opposed to in this version he's sensing that time is running out for him and he better marry the best woman that's come along before it's too late yes and that's kind of why he's acting out because he's also maybe he doesn't really want to get it, throughout the screenplay he's often suggesting that he doesn't really want to get married yeah over the course of the week yes. he changes his mind he goes back and forth back and forth he definitely doesn't seem like he's he's got his heart set on it. Exactly. I will say that uh, I do find these two characters deeply flawed. They obviously have their there are certain behaviors that you know when reading it or watching the film you you judge. You know, it's like whoa. Like for example, if we're still we're talking about the beginning, so their first stop is Miles's mom's birthday, and so he decides to do a little impromptu surprise her. Then later we find out that wasn't really his intention. I mean, it was his intention to go visit her, but the birthday is just an excuse in a way. In reality, he's going there to take some money from her without telling her mm-hmm. for rent and for the rest of the trip. And the uh, and it's funny because in the book, he it's he actually has to go through a safe that he would open up when he was a child so he knows the combination, which is his mom's birthday. And so he forget, he forgets the last numbers, which is the year. Yep. And the fact that he can't remember the year <laughs> that his mom was born. He has to ask her. <laughs> yes. And I mean, it's just terrible reading it. Yeah. I was judging him so badly there. I was like, how could you not know your mom's birthday? That's he, the thing. In the, in the book, he's a bit more justified in the sense that he's going to be evicted. If he doesn't pay right there and then, he's going to be evicted. True. Yeah. But it's still not justified to steal money from your elderly mother under no, any and on her birthday and, and not only on and birthday. not only that but the scene ends with her 
asking him if he needs money and, and it's she his would, pride yeah and she, she'd be willing to lend him yeah. some money it's so. it's it's very terrible it's uh, <laughs> y- you're you're immediately getting a sense this guy's not great but he's it's but such a he's human going to, thing too you know? he's going to draw you in and yeah in the end you end up liking both of characters. course that could because that's that's I love it because it's not trying to get you to like them. I think it's just they're it's very authentic. It's very honest with the characters. Uh, they're not one hundred percent good guys. You know, you're there's cracks and there's things that aren't good, but nonetheless, it, it's a very well rounded character. And I think that's part of the engaging factor in the film and the book. Yeah, it's enjoyable to spend time with them, and so throughout the story. You are even in the screenplay. You're getting it through Miles's perspective in mm-hmm. some way. Uh, Miles is definitely the protagonist of, of right. the film, and you you get introduced into their world, and that's how you can start to like them because they are good friends and they're having fun, even when things are going terribly wrong for them. Yeah, there's always some humor, and yes, it's just <clears> also <throat> the way they interact with each other. I I think my absolute favorite quote of of miles is is when jack is crashing the car into the tree and the the wine breaks in the the case in the back and oh, miles yeah. is taking it out and he calls him a derelict <laughs> <laughs> you fucking derelict yeah <laughs> after jack says something like oh it's like whatever he's like no it's not whatever yeah <laughs> yeah so there's a lot of back and forth yeah that the it's that yin yang that you mentioned before two different personalities but yeah. again it's it's like this especially with people you you become friends with uh, when you're younger, in adolescence, in yeah. at university age. You you kind of revert back to being a bit younger when you're back around yeah, them again. That's true, and it's implied in both the book and the film that they really haven't seen each other too much since he got engaged and mm-hmm. he's been getting ready for the wedding. So yeah, so it makes sense that you know they go back to their old antics when they're back together. Yeah, they're almost acting. They're they're too middle-aged men who are acting right in ways that they shouldn't be like they they should be older and and wiser and not doing this yes but of course they're not they they want to have fun yes and so after their mom pit stop they keep on going and they end up in i believe it's the uh, small town in the wine country uh up in santa barbara well they're they're staying in uh welton is that the name yeah the town i think but their hotel is in the, the windmill. The, the windmill. The yeah, it's still in the same area. I think I'm not entirely sure. So it sure, is a real place because it obviously is. they went to film that. I Google mapped yeah. it because I was like, oh, I'm gonna check this. So yes, it's all within the same valley. It's just like different towns, really close to each other. So they finally get there, and of course, you know, they are there to drink a lot of wine, and they have slightly different intentions. I think Miles is there to kind of see his buddy off you know, and sort of have a vacation. But uh, Jack is very determined to, you know, have a lot of sex before he has to get married. And he makes that perfectly clear. He even threatens Miles that he will not be sabotaged at all costs. You know, like, he's on a mission. And it's just, I I loved his character. I mean, the way Thomas Hayden Church played him was just hilarious. Mm -hmm. And... It's a real California dude. Very much so. Very like the same type of attitude. And one of my (laughs) one of my favorite lines is uh, they're at the it's in the morning and they had drank the whole night before and they're at Denny's and a cute waitress comes over and 
takes her order and then she walks off and he says it's too early in the morning for that you know what i mean like it's just and miles <laughs> miles doesn't know what he means that's the whole point of miles right yeah. he's just like no i don't know what you mean like he <laughs> he just can't understand how how his friend is just so high sexual en- energy very all the time. sexual yeah. yeah very incredibly sexual but it's endearing in a way um which i mean maybe it shouldn't be i don't know but i'm mm-hmm. just saying it it's it's he owns it he doesn't try to yeah pretend otherwise so the, his honesty is such opposite uh, jack is without restraints and miles has oh, restrained yeah. himself to the point that he's not enjoying life anymore he's a closed person mm-hmm. except with jack you know it, it does seem that jack knows a lot about about miles even he knows how to ease him out of his misery yeah Show yeah. him a good time. And one of the things that I that I noticed they kind of switched from the way that Miles was portrayed in the novel as well. Mm. Miles is kind of the guy who's good at everything. He's it's it's also because he's telling the story, right? So True. he's good at everything. He knows everything about wine. He he's the author and he's really good at golf. And in the film he's really bad at golf. And I oh, yeah. I like that they switched that because it allows jack to have this there are things that jack is better at he's Mm -hmm. taller he's stronger he's more attractive he's better at sports Mm -hmm. and then miles is more then he's pushed off into that side where he's more pensive he's he's more intellectual he uses all these long words having a glass of wine he calls it quaffable and things like this (laughs) and yeah you get the sense that behind all this pretentiousness there's something deeper Mm-hmm. And with Jack behind all of that playfulness, there's also something really going on inside him. That yeah, yeah. I th- I think there's there's a deepness to Jack's character as well. You could sort of write him off as like, oh, he's just a superficial buffoon, but he's not. There's definitely moments in the film where he shows his humanity, and it, and a lot of that comes with his relationship with Miles, the way he's there for him, the way he's. You know, he's really a supportive friend, you know, about his book. He's constantly encouraging him, like Mm -hmm. trying to make him feel positive. Yeah, no, I got a good feeling that this is going to be the one you're going to get published. I mean, that's a really good friend. You know, you can really sense that he really cares for Miles and is sentimental in that sense in a way that I don't think Miles is. And I think that's mentioned in the book where Miles, towards the end of the book, there's a line where Miles realizes that, Jack is more in tune with his emotions in that sense than mm-hmm. Miles will ever be because he is closed off emotionally in that because he says he never wanted to be close with with male friends in mm-hmm. that sense. He always put a, a wall. And so that was interesting to reveal that about Jack towards the end there. And it, it's a making of a good buddy relationship because mm-hmm. Jack isn't great with his own fiance but with miles he does put miles first he yeah he's the one who thinks if you're going to meet your mother you need to get presents yeah on her birthday you can't just turn up and say happy yeah. birthday. You know, he's he's the one that's looking out for him all the time he's the one you've got to get over this depression you've got to have fun yeah i'm going to have fun anyway but i'd it would be better if you joined me. Yeah, I, I, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and you're right. He does mention all those little things. It reminds me of that scene going back to the mom when he's like writing the the birthday card as he's pulling up, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is very relatable in a way, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, I've gone through similar situations. I mean, it's just life, you know. Like it's it's. I like that the fact that it wasn't trying to show you a good role model or anything. It feels like a real human being. 
so yeah, so the first character that we meet after that is Maya. So they're mm-hmm. at a restaurant and they're just having dinner and a pretty waitress is being spotted by Jack and he's surprised that Miles knows her. So apparently Miles is a regular at this restaurant and he's struck up a bit of a friendship with Maya. So she's also a wine fan. So automatically, I think Jack really wants to pair him with with her. He's he's an opportunity, and of course he, if he was Miles, he would have gone for that. But uh, we get to meet Maya. He's perceptive. He's the one who figures out the whole charade around her life. the The fact she's wearing a wedding yes. ring, even though he's yeah. the one who's thinking she can't really be married. Yeah, and he even uses his own relationship as an example. The- there, he said, <laughs> "That's how I met um, Christine. Yes, yeah. she was wearing a wedding ring. Yeah, but I knew she must be single." So he's kind of got this perceptiveness and he's able to tell that she likes Miles. Yeah. And Miles is sabotaged. He just wants to see them get together because that's yes. that's kind of that's what gives him enjoyment. If it's not about him getting together with someone, the next best thing for Jack is to see Miles get together with yeah, someone. Yeah, I think he really wants Miles to have a good time and I think Miles is the opposite. He thinks, "Oh, no, that can't happen to me." No, his, uh, his self-esteem is is shot. Won't through. allow it. Yeah. And he starts making well not that it's an excuse but he does he's convinced that she's married he's seen the rock and uh which jack replies to you know that doesn't mean shit which (laughs) was a really funny line in the film we meet her again after they're at the bar so it's later that that night Mm -hmm. she shows up without the rock which is something that jack brings up to miles so he Mm kind of starts putting these seeds in 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 miles so i think the next time that we see them together there is that sort of now Miles is more open to the idea and and I think as a viewer it becomes undeniable because yes. maybe when he's been up to the restaurant by himself and he's met Maya initially he's thought oh she she doesn't like me I'm she's ju- she just wants tips she's just being nice because she's right, a waitress she yeah. wants tips he creates a story in his head to explain all of the behavior all of the the ways that she's been kind to him, just so he can avoid the fact of maybe someone's being nice to me because I just I'm I deserve to be yeah treated nicely because yeah. people do find me interesting, that kind of thing. Everywhere he goes, people ask him, "Hey, Miles, how have you been?" It's his own self-esteem that is is kind of underlying uh, yeah. and causing him all these problems in a way. But yeah. it's also understandable because he's he's been through this horrible divorce and right. his book isn't selling. So he might he can also always find evidence up in his head of why he's not worthy, why his why life can't shouldn't be, be happy. good. Yeah, why he can't be happy. All those excuses to not be happy and it's too good for him. You know, he's got mm-hmm. that syndrome of oh no, that's too good. We do see as a viewer that Maya is interested. Mm-hmm. And she's intelligent. She mm-hmm. she loves wine as well, so she's perfect mm-hmm. for Miles. And, and she's beautiful. You yeah. know, I think Virginia Madsen is a uh, uh, excellent in this role. She's so subtle, and she tells you the whole story with her eyes, and you can pick up on those subtleties when she's interested in him. The way she looks at him, it's never overdone. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to almost like lean in to like kind of see what's going on with her. And it's one of the most impressive things about her performance is yeah. that she feels like she could just be someone you could just meet out she feels out real in a re- like yeah. she's not this glamorous actress mm. she's a real person that you could meet at any point yeah. and 
that's that's actually kind of a hard thing to do in movies because mm-hmm. obviously we kind of elevate up the the performance and the yeah the height and the drama. This comes yeah. across as very authentic and very very real, natural. Real. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, there there's that seed planted, and so I believe right after that, uh, Jack delivers a bit of a bomb show news, which is that. Vicky or Victoria, which is um, Miles's ex-wife, is getting married, and she's bringing her fiance to the wedding. Her new husband. Her new husband. Yeah. Is it a husband she's in the already, book? She's or? already been remarried. Yeah. Okay. Oh, maybe not in the book. Actually. In in the book. That's a good point. In in the screenplay, they're already married. Yeah. Okay. Jack just reveals to Miles. Yeah. That she's got remarried, and the man's gonna be there, which sends Miles down a spiral mm-hmm. and this is told to him before they oh okay before that date before in, their date i'm getting ahead of myself play. in a little way but yeah. but yeah so this is a huge thing for miles he obviously it, it's not what he wants to hear and it kind of sends him emotionally down a very dangerous path and so after that they get to meet another important character which is that of stephanie tara in the book and then played by sandra O. And her original role is the same. So she she's uh, serving wine in one yeah. of the tasting rooms, yeah. and she's you know very attractive and obviously Jack automatically and gravitates and, and flirty. Yeah. But y- the chemistry between the two actors is really good, and the characters and uh, I, I really enjoy that. They have that. this instant chemistry, yeah. And it, there's just that braveness in both of the characters that they're willing to to not flinch, to not look down. That's what Miles would do if if someone. If someone floods with him, he'll look at his shoes. Of course. And these two are able to connect quickly. They know the game. They know how to, to flirt quickly. And, and I mean, the, yeah. uh, the like something that might be oblivious to Miles, Jack picks up right away, which mm-hmm. is, you know, she's pouring them quite a bit of wine. And then comments on it. And exactly. then he says, you know, like, wow, you're a bad girl. And then she says, yeah, I need to be spanked. Like, it's it's instant. Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're speaking the same it's, language. They're playing chicken with each other. Yeah. And... Neither one is scared, so it it's a done deal at that it's point. It's a done deal, exactly. <laughs> uh, and but so, of yeah. course, Jack is smart. He he also asks, "Do you know Maya? If mm-hmm. you live around here, do you know Maya?" Turns out they do. Yeah, turns they out they're good other. friends, actually. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that is their way of setting up the the date, the double date. Yes. Yes. Which uh, at that point, Miles is in a emotionally vulnerable because he just found out the news about mm-hmm. his ex-wife and i love the whole scene before they go in where so this is really good screenwriting yeah because it sets up exactly what it is about miles's character mm-hmm. before you see the events happen so you know kind mm-hmm. of what he's capable of this isn't out of character for him jack is saying don't go over to the dark side i love that line yeah. I love that, and I can relate. <laughs> the way that they like, yes, you're absolutely right. Because mm-hmm. before he goes in as an audience member, you're like, "Please don't fuck it up, Miles," because you are. This, this is your big chance. Yeah, at this point, you, you are aware. You're rooting for him. Yes, they haven't done anything. Well, at this point, Miles hasn't really done anything wrong except steal money from his mother, which you've right. kind of forgotten about by that point yeah, uh, yeah so you're kind of rooting for him you're like yeah sort your life out be happy go on this date with this beautiful intelligent woman who actually wants to spend time with you yes and he's freaking out and that's something that they 
that is incorporated into his character as well is the fact he has panic attacks and he's yeah. got his Xanax to, <laughs> to try and calm him down. But it's no, it's it's definitely not a solution, especially when he's around copious quantities of wine. Of course. Um, but that scene is also brilliant just because it's one of the funniest scenes. The scene outside the restaurant where he's screaming, I'm not having any fucking Merlot. <laughs> yeah. And that's he said he's, he threatens to leave if they drink if they order Merlot. Exactly. And mind you, he's sober at this point. Yeah, <laughs> and that is why the Merlot sales in California dropped. I'm not a big fan of uh, I'm not a big fan of Merlot either. He ex- um, he doesn't explain it in the film, right? I think it's in the book. He explains that it's just a it's meant to just be a mixing grape or something like that. He doesn't rate it. As right, a, as sort of almost grape. generic in yeah. a way. And so yeah, that that was a that's a really funny scene and sets up the stage because once they're in and you have those it's kind of like a montage. So you have the four of them, there's a bit of a dialogue, and then they start doing this montage, they're eating, they're they're drinking, and as the montage plays on, you start to see that Miles is drinking a little too much now. Well, you start to get get worried simply because more and more bottles keep appearing. Yes. And you're thinking, well, you don't need more than two bottles for four people. And it's like, no, you they're having three or four. Yeah, and <laughs> with, at this point... Dinner. Yeah, and yeah. at this point, you already know how Miles is. So like you're saying, like yeah. the stakes are high. And we're like, no, come on, don't, don't go over to the dark side. And one thing that they... That was in the script was that there was this very brief scene where it's like a... I don't know. It's like a imaginary sequence where he's literally going to the dark side. It's not in the film. Yeah, it's the river sticks. He's he's yes. like going into the underworld. I'm not yeah, surprised yeah, yeah. they took that out because it's it didn't almost fit. inexplicable. It didn't really um, fit. It's I mean, I get, funny, I get what the metaphor is meant yeah. to be, but it just it might make more sense in a more cartoony film. More quirky. It, it you would need more scenes like it. It was like for a it one to off, not see yeah. if it's just that one that one scene, it just doesn't really make sense in, yeah. in this particular one. So yeah, that's what we're talking about here is it's a scene when the montage is taking place, there's it's just meant to cut away two miles mm-hmm. going into the underworld itself, the river sticks where the dead cross. Right. And then that's it. Then it just jumps back to the restaurant table. It's so, just meant to be a little funny little little bit, but yeah. uh you're right. It didn't like even reading. I'm like, I automatically knew why they and in, took instead, it out. what they do, and it's it's kind of alluded to that this was their plan in the in the shooting script. That essentially the camera's meant to kind of lose focus, lose mm-hmm. stability, be a bit off balance, the more he drinks, slow yeah. down a bit. The music will get a bit slower and creepier. Yeah. That's what will give you the sense that he's kind of descending. And the uh, the looks that and the looks Jack getting, gives him yeah. is especially key he's giving him that like i can see you going to the dark side and don't you fucking go in you are going to (laughs) yeah not just think of yourself you're going to mess it up for me is also of course yeah concern this is his Um, booty call like on the line yeah and miles uh he gets up and he goes to the bathroom yes can't get in i think it's a bit more comical in in the the more expanded versions right that he's kind of knocking on the door and uh, mm. Or that he thinks that the men's is the women's and things like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's d- yeah. different takes on it depending on the different versions. And there is a phone beside the toilet, so yeah. he decides to call up his ex-wife, completely yeah. hammered, and congratulate her on her, her new husband. man. Yeah, yeah. And he is drunk, and he tries to play it off, but she can tell 
And it's not pretty. Trying to come across as, as cool and say, yeah, I guess I'll see you at the wedding then, because... Well, he, but he, it doesn't work. Like he, right. he can't keep it together, and he, he starts to lose it a bit. Yeah, and he comes back to the table a bit defeated. Yeah, and uh, so they toned in the movie. They toned down a lot of the worst aspects of their drinking. Hmm. In the movie, he's just kind of stumbling about a bit. Yeah, in the book, he falls, and, and in in the actual screenplay, I think he cuts himself. And oh. they, I think they really toned down the negative effects of drinking. And I'm not in entirely sure why because i think it gives you a a better perspective on the characters themselves mm. that there's too much of a tendency to glamorize drinking in any kind of story especially films things like that this is one of those points where he is messing up his whole date here he could maya might never want to speak to him again if she sees him yeah behave, behave like this you that know? is true but even in the book because the women in the story yeah. love their wine they drink just yeah. as much as the men Yep. But they keep it together. They stay very composed. And he's the first one to be... Losing it. Uncomposed, yeah. Yeah, I think it's because of his emotional state that And he, it's also his emotions. Because it triggers his emotions. He's starting know? to harm himself instead yeah. of enjoy himself. Yeah. And when he comes back to the table, he's definitely in a different type of mood. But luckily for him, they decide to move the party elsewhere. So they go back to Stephanie's place. Uh, which Jack is absolutely thrilled about. And, you know, they all make their way over there. And that whole sequence after, when they go back to Stephanie's place and Stephanie and Jack just go to the bedroom and do their thing, the scene between Miles and uh, Maya in this scene is, like, my favorite part of the film. Absolutely. It's, it's one of my it's favorite parts part in... Yeah, it's, and it's one of my favorite parts of any film. Like, I just love... Mm -hmm. That whole dialogue between the two of them, you know, at first they're inside the, the house drinking wine and they're commenting on the good wine that uh, Stephanie has. and It's the exact opposite of, of Jack and Stephanie because, like you said, there's their initial conversation is like, oh, you're a naughty girl. Yeah. Uh, I deserve to be spanked. It's purely physical. M Miles and Maya are dancing around each other with being so careful with their words being mm. so careful with what they say and Maya in the screenplay she takes out a bottle and she says I don't think we know each other well enough for this one right. and it's, it's that there's all that sexual undertone underneath it they, yeah. they are dancing around each other they're seeing if the sparks will start to fly yeah and they're, they're intellectually if you will, they're having intellectual intercourse while the other ones are having little intercourse because mm -hmm. they really are engaging with each other. And we really start seeing, we start to see Miles really open up in a way that we haven't seen him open up up to this point. Through and the language of wine. Through the language of they're wine. They're talking about wine, but they start talking about themselves. Yes. And so I have a lot to say about this scene. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things I want to say is that I think it was, because this scene is in the book, but the exchange that they have, because they're inside the house first, they get a bottle of wine, they start hearing the loud sex, so they become uncomfortable and they move outside. And once they're outside, they really start talking about wine and reveal a little bit more about themselves. So that part is not in the book. So mm -hmm. Miles has a monologue because she asked him, like, why, why Pinot Noir? Like, why is that your thing? And he goes on to this long explanation as to why it resonates with him so deeply. And I do have a... A quote because I just love it because he's talking about the wine like you say but he's not he's also talking about himself even if he doesn't know it 
And the part that I like is uh, only when someone has taken the time to truly understand its potential can Pino be coaxed into its fullest expression. So I see him as that. He's the type of person that he needs the attention, the nurture in order to... He's asking for patience. He, yeah, He's asking exactly. for the patience. Yeah. He knows he's this prickly thorn bush mm-hmm. on the outside. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be easy to, to agitate him. Yeah. But if she can just give him time and get to know him, he thinks there's something in there that she'll fall in love with. Yeah, and, and it's a beautiful like uh, way of revealing something about himself. And, and she feels it. And so she counters that with, you know, because he says, what about you? And she begins to tell him how she got into wine. And it was her ex-husband who had a wine cellar. And it turns out she had started enjoying what she would think about when she drank the wine. And she starts talking about how she would think about the people making the wine. Was it raining? Was it sunny? Like all these aspects. All the time that's passed since the wine itself was. Yeah. And how the wine is alive and constantly evolving. And if how you open it today, if it's not going to taste the same as if you would have opened it yesterday or tomorrow. And the way she says these things, and it's just a great performance. I was completely blown away by by that scene. I just loved it so much. This is a part of the script that Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor managed to condense everything that's the whole spirit of the the novel it's based on into a few lines and it's these two characters talking directly to each other for the first time and everything that's been building up inside of them because they've both been through these divorces mm-hmm. and they've both been alone and they've both been thinking and they've been with themselves and they figured out who they are in some respect and it's finally a chance to tell someone else who they are yeah and another thing i really want to say about the the scene is that um earlier before they go outside into the porch where this particular exchange takes place, uh, he talks about how he has a 61 Cheval Blanc, which is, I guess, a really amazing wine that's... I mean, even when the film came out, it would be 43 years old, right. this wine. It's yeah. A, yeah. So it's old. It's really old, and Maya is so impressed that he has this. So he's like, what are you waiting for? And he said he was waiting for an anniversary which didn't come to happen. And uh, so she brings it up again when they're having that exchange later. And it's also metaphorical because she says that wines have a peak. And once they reach their peak, it's a descent. And she Mm -hmm. says like you're, and she even mentions to him like, you know, you need to open that bottle because it's peaking right now. And then she brings it up again and alludes to, if it's not enjoyed when it's, you know, then it's going to go down. It's almost like she's telling him, this is your chance. Like you. Yeah. The the other thing she mentions is that uh, it's the day that you have the wine is going to be the special day, not the other way around. You don't need to wait for the special day to have it. Right. If you have a wine that's that good, that will make it a special day towards the end. uh, Mm -hmm. He does take her advice in that sense. Um, but what she's really saying to him is take the cork out of the bottle of your own life right now before it's too late. Before yes. you start to, dis- before right. before you uncork yourself and realize it's, it's too late. It's just vinegar that's left in there. It's yeah, too it's, late. It's all, it's all gone bad. And she's saying like, you know, the timing is now, 
now is the time and uh, you can tell he's completely swept away like swept off his feet like so falling in love with her in this moment and you can tell he's not sure what to do and maybe he's reading the signs wrong and but she makes it clear he when he misses his cue That's, he misses and it's, his cue it's very obvious it's it's done so well that it seems entirely like obvious that this is the right way to end that scene but it's not it's not evident how you should end a scene like that mm. but it's just it in retrospect it's it just seems like the perfect way to do it she touches his hand and he he pulls away yeah and carries on talking about wine when the moments got they were talking about themselves and he just carries on with and turns it into a bland conversation and he loses the moment the momentum is lost mm -hmm. which is exactly what she was warning him about is <laughs> like mm -hmm. you know the time is now it's going to be too late later and yeah he knows what he did too and automatically hates himself for it he goes to the bathroom and calls himself disgusting and a loser to his to the mirror to himself and he decides to go back and sort of redeem himself by kind of she's in the kitchen and he kind of like kisses her but it's forced you can tell the moment's done like it's gone and he's trying to bring it back in a more forced way because yeah. he felt bad that he missed it the first time so he's trying to force it back and you and can she's tell she's not, not okay feeling it, it. Yeah, yeah. she's not feeling it now yeah and i'm not surprised because when right. if someone puts themselves out there and they're rejected like that she obviously did feel rejected just yeah. a second before because she'd put her hand on his and he'd pulled away yep so it, yeah what did he think was going to happen oh my another house. thing i love about uh they both leave the house at the same time because they're obviously going to leave jack and stephanie yeah to st spend the night mm -hmm. and they are driving he's behind her in the car they so the two cars are going down mm -hmm. the, the little lane and then she gets out to say goodbye to give him the directions when he gives her his manuscript, that's oh, one of yeah. the funniest bits of the movie. <laughs> because he has this huge box that he gives her. Yep. She's like, wow. Uh, holding this big box. And he's like, wait a second. And he grabs <laughs> another one. Yeah. Like part two is all there. It's a long And it's like book. a big, big box of paper. Yeah. She also mentions, oh, you need to take something like two rights and mm. and a left. Or to go back like to the, that. yeah. There's a shot from above looking down at the two cars going off in different directions. Mm -hmm. And I love that shot because it, it comes up later in the movie mm. that there's the same shot with the one car going off to the left, which is towards Maya's house when they finally do get together. Interesting. And I didn't make it, that connection. When I saw it in this last watching of it, I thought that's such a brilliant use of visual language because... Mm you have this separation mm -hmm. left and right. And when you see this car, you don't know who's in the car. The The second time when they leave together, you just see the car going off to the left. And then you see them both in the car. And you know you're go they're going to Maya's place because they went left instead of right. If, if the car had gone right, it would just be Miles going home. Mm. But the car going to the left is that he's gone with Maya. So mm. it was a nice bit of visual language. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't catch that. Miles goes home. And he's woken up by Jack oh, coming right. back. So Jack, and he, yeah. Miles wants to make Jack feel a bit guilty at this point. Didn't really think he was going to go through with it. Yeah. He thought eventually his conscience is going to take over. Right. And it doesn't. Right. And Jack had told him already bluntly that he was going to do this. He was going to cheat that week. But Miles still kind of wanted to rein him in. 
So in the morning, he wants to punish him a bit. He's he's saying, look at all these messages. You've got to call Christine. I think Jack is, I mean, uh, Miles is in a very tough situation if you really think about it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like he, that must weigh heavily on him. Yeah, he's complicit. He's in, he's yeah, complicit in the cheating, which is not something he wants or right. anyone would really want is to be complicit in someone else's lies and keeping yeah. secrets for them and and all this. And it gets worse when Jack declares that he's in love with Stephanie and he wants to leave Christine and he wants to move up there and open a winery with Miles. Like he already has like a whole future planned. He's fantasizing. Uh, he's fantasizing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's totally, you know, swept off his feet in this new relationship. And I think that's when Miles really starts to panic yeah. about Meanwhile, the whole this, thing. Meanwhile, this family has put down tens of thousands of dollars for this right. this huge wedding for them. <laughs> and yeah. he's thinking of calling it off a few days before. And he and his rationale is just incredible. <laughs> I mean, arguably, you know. he sh- he should have done that. He should have stuck to his guns and called it off because that's kind of what kind of a husband is he going to be? But Mm. he kind of wants to have his cake and eat it. Yeah. He's he's not going to call off the wedding straight away, but he does suddenly develop feelings for Stephanie, but it's, it's miles who tries to stamp out those feelings. He's saying, right. Oh, you're in love after 24 hours. Yeah. And I think Jack, he starts to panic. You know, this woman is feels different. He says, tastes different, fucks different. Like he's like, I guess it's that panic that would set in before you get married. I wouldn't know. You can tell that he's not the marrying type. You know, he is kind of... It would be interesting to, to read a book about, like, how him and, St- like, uh, Christine met and decided to get married and all that stuff. But anyways, uh, yeah, be- the stakes get kind of higher. Also for Miles, because Maya is really good friends with Stephanie. So, mm-hmm. so if puts, he's complicit in the lie... Yes, that's bad for him and Maya as well. deceiving Maya too. Yeah. yeah. And that is a big part of what does happen. Mm-hmm. He's also uncomfortable with the other lie, which is that Jack's telling everyone his book is about yeah. to be published, right. when really he's just got this one last shot. Yep. The last publishing house that is ever going to make an offer mm-hmm. is considering making an offer. Yeah. That is not... Yeah. Your that is not your book is definitely going to get published, right? And Miles knows that. Yeah, so it's he's been forced into a lie. Yeah. I mean, that must be very uncomfortable. And so I, after that, there's a lot of scenes of you know the four of them hanging out. I love that whole montage of the four of them like out in the meadow by the tree, mm-hmm. and they're like the cinematography is beautiful, and it is very. That's a bit that the uh, that the film does to attract you to that place, to that wine valley. To yes. To think, if if you live somewhere else, to think, yeah. oh, I should go to California. I should go and experience this great weather and this great and it, scenery yeah. and this great food and wine and the beautiful days that you can have out there. And it captures yeah. that very well. I mean, I've been through that. I've been like in that area, not a whole lot, but watching the film, it was very like, it captures the feeling of being there, of, of the, the type of trees, the type of uh, vegetation, the sun. Uh, yeah, Alexander Payne said he tried very hard to not make it uh, a commercial for mm. for the place, but instead to really try and see what was special about it and to celebrate because they they shot in in autumn, so mm. when the leaves are starting to get a bit more orange and yeah, oh, he, that's cool. They tried to to capture that in the film that something about the beauty of the place that wasn't fake, not the kind of thing you'd see in a travel guide, but just 
what you might actually experience if you went there yourself. Yeah, and the reason why it, it kind of feels really good is because at this point we know the characters, so we're kind of seeing it through their story, through their perspective. So it, it that's what elevates it too. And we have a con, we have context that goes along with images that makes it a little more magical, I think. But then that after that, everything kind of goes downhill. Maya and Miles, they actually engage in a physical relationship as well. In the book, it's a bit more graphic. I was slightly taken aback at some of the language and some of the the visuals that the book provided for mm-hmm. their courtship. So in the book, they're in a pool and they're all kind of just hanging out. Oh, wait. Th- I, I almost forgot about this whole side story in the mm. book as well. That So for... For people who have only seen the film, there's this other double deception that Jack actually pays Maya. Yes. And that that's something I'm so glad they took that out. Yeah, the, that's a little too it much. Because it completely ruins the romance. And right. Miles is kind of... his All of his reaction against Jack... in Because Jack breaks his nose in the book because Miles punches him in the face, not, <laughs> not Tara. Right, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so information for those <laughs> it's who... It's when he finds out that Jack had given Maya yeah. $1,000. <laughs> he is just like, this is so unforgivable. Yeah, so Jack... And she paid. tries to... She does say, oh, it, it wasn't about the money. I didn't want the money or anything like that. But he was just so insistent. He said to consider it payment for all the wine that, mm-hmm. that I was giving and all this stuff. And, oh, it was just so, like... I know. When Miles finds that out, he's... He's quite right to be angry in the the film. Miles doesn't have the same right because he's the one who reveals the secret, and then Jack gets beaten up, and and, yeah. Maya, and Maya doesn't want to talk to him anymore. Yep. But uh, yeah, in the book, there's that that little side. The, the characters are changed in such subtle ways that it's quite funny. I think. Yeah, because both of them are such enjoyable characters. Yeah. Both versions. They're both, and they're very similar. I don't think they're completely different but it does add another layer of deception like you say mm-hmm. you know the fact that maya was doing it for money mm-hmm. but at the same time she does also feel genuine and she no, does she does have she, the genuine feeling and, that and was she does give him back the money like she mm-hmm. gives him back the the thousand dollars that she's very you know, embarrassed about it yeah. and uh that's kind of the clue that that jack gets of oh well why did she give it back to you did you tell her about me and uh, uh, Christine, his uh, fiance, but but the other thing too is like the way that the way that Miles and Maya get together in the film is much more romantic than the way they get together in the book. In the book, they just get really sexual really fast in the pool, and it goes into detail as to what they do to each other. Which I was like reading, I was like, wow, like this is interesting. That would have been interesting to have put in the film, but it doesn't fit the film. I think it's. A, I it don't know could, what it is about it. It but could have fit in, but only with. I just don't it, see it them doing that. It would be challenging that. the actors in a different way, and it, yeah, I think it's better to just have them. You know, the door closes. There's yeah. just things that it works better to leave things to the imagination sometimes than to put them on screen. Especially with those characters, for some yeah. reason, I couldn't picture Paul Giamatti and Virginia Madsen doing that stuff. Like it just, I wasn't. It wasn't entering my imagination mm-hmm. for some reason. So I can see why they would change that. But needless to say, they they get together and they do start engaging in a physical relationship. But unfortunately, um, 
in the book, he willingly tells her before uh, they're going to have sex or they just had sex and they're in the hotel room and he comes clean. Uh, in the film, his conscience is eating him more. In, yeah, in the book. Yeah, and in the film, he lets it slip by mistake. Yeah, and then she catches on, and he has no choice yeah. but to tell her. And but of he course, doesn't mean to tell her. No, he no, ju- no. He is just a slip, and there's just no way yeah. of going back. And so he just takes the opportunity to be honest about it. And of course, Maya is, you know, understandably upset, and we kind of get the sense that that's it. That's the end of their relationship. And so after that comes like one of the, I mean, kind of funny, but kind of tragic scenes where they pull up to the hotel and there is uh, Stephanie on her bike waiting for them. And she just beats the shit out of Jack, you know, mm-hmm. with her bicycle helmet, with her bicycle helmet and breaks his nose. And and so this was Sandro's addition to one of her additions to the mm. screenplay. And that's probably the best one. I like it. I, yeah, it it's just, a good, it it yeah. gives that character. I I love that sense of the woman completely standing up for herself. Yep. This Jack is being revealed for the absolute scum that he is, but yep. telling her that he loved her, getting way too close with her family, her infant, and well, not infant, but her young child. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got way too close. And he gets what he deserved in that sense. And yep. he, I love how he tries to shrug it off and say, oh, I should sue her. But I, you <laughs> When know, like hours before I, he was I ready would, to like I wouldn't marry want, her. You know, I wouldn't yeah. want that to hurt Christine. It's like, you just hurt Christine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's warped, the, yeah. the rationale. But yeah, you're right. And, and yeah, just c- contrasting that to what happened in the book, that the Miles yeah. punches him in the face. When he uh, finds and out that's about the what money. breaks his nose. And but Jack, yeah. at that point in the book, has already got hurt quite badly because of mm-hmm. the other side stories that never made it into mm-hmm. the film. But in both stories, he ends up going back to the wedding with his face, with yeah. ba- with a huge bandage on his face. Yeah. Scratch it. I think he gets scratches on his face in the book because the terror scratches him in the face. Oh, that's right. He's got a or twisted ankle and broken ribs in the in the mm-hmm. book. <laughs> yeah no he gets beat up in both yeah. the book and the film and uh unfortunately that seems like that's the end of maya and miles's relationship for the time being and so um what comes after that is one of the funniest again like the film kind of marries the tragedy with the comedy which is what i love about it so then in the next scene they're at a wine tasting when miles has finally had enough he's going to call his agent and he's going to find out what is happening he can't wait any longer so he uses um jack's phone to to call his agent and as it turns out he is not getting published they passed on his book and we just see how absolutely crushed he is Mm -hmm. goes back to the the winery back to the tasting and kind of acts like it's a bar and starts ordering starts you know drinking a lot of glasses of wine but uh gets in a fight with the bartender because he tells them this is not a bar. And in the in the book version, the girls are there, right? When the scene happens, Maya is I there. Th- Maya is there. Maya yeah. is there. So, so the, so the she witnesses this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's different. And I the, I really love that. Yeah, that scene, just the visual element, the visual comedy of it, even from a book. I was just in <laughs> stitches laughing out loud when it happened because he describes yeah. this 
this putrid bowl of, of, <laughs> of, uh, of spit, yeah. And but the way he described what's, he, what's in yeah. there is really funny. So this is uh, Miles arguing with the server at the, at the tasting. Mm-hmm. And exactly the scene you've just painted, that he's just found out that his book's not getting published, the mm-hmm. guy's not going to pour him a full glass. <laughs> right. He asks him to leave and he says... Fuck you, I shouted. Then in juvenile defiance of his authority, I reached for the spit bucket, nearly full from a few hours of avid tasting, raised it aloft with both hands and swilled from it. Pinot Noir and God knows what else streamed down the sides of my face, but I kept guzzling, chugging it like a frat boy upending a pitcher of beer. Moments (laughs) later, I felt strong hands gripping my arms, but I maintained my hold on the bucket. When I had emptied it to its last, I calmly set it down and looked around. All attention was centered on me. I shouted, Notes of burnt raspberries and truffles commingled with <laughs> fresh dingleberries. <laughs> <laughs> so to that, Jack announces to the crowd, it's okay, his mother just died <laughs> and gets him out of there. But it's just yeah. this entire break. It's everything is ruined. He's got nothing to lose, he feels. Yeah. His book didn't sell. There's no point going on. Yeah, at, th- at that point, he's de- completely defeated. Mm-hmm. And he then says something that is both in the book and in the film, and it's a scene between him and Jack. And It's a, it's a very tender scene. Yeah. That's th- when you understand that Jack really does understand him. And Yeah, there's a connection there, and it, it reveals like their, the intimacy of their friendship. But it's, a, it's also funny because when Miles says... I can't even kill myself, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm insignificant. He starts naming all these other writers who kill themselves, but they went on to become, you know, really famous. But they famous were already afterwards. famous. But yeah, they were already yeah. published. And they he's were already published. famous and killed themselves. Yeah. So he can't do that. And so Jack points out, yeah, that there's uh, he he points out one author who had killed themselves before they became famous. <laughs> right. <laughs> As if that would help. <laughs> right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So maybe you should. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. So it, it, that that does reveal a little bit about them. But that's that's Jack's way of dealing with it. Guys don't want to talk about their feelings, but there are jokes that can be made about their feelings that are just as good as talking about it. And that's one of them. Mm, yeah. That's Jack's little joke. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of like, I'll just make you smile. Like I know I know you're miserable yeah, right now, and you're talking yeah. about killing yourself, but I can make you smile. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And then uh, that goes into the the last little portion of the film last little sequence which is hilarious and it's almost like what kind of random but it's uh it's such a fun sequence so at this point it's their last night i think and they go to a restaurant they're having their last dinner and jack becomes very um attracted to the waitress she ends up recognizing him from from well he 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 makes sure that she recognizes well yeah him. that's true yeah he was a daytime soap star right and yeah. there's that sense that for a lot of women that wouldn't be impressive, but there's a certain kind of group, uh, a, you know, a large proportion of the public who recognize him and think, oh my God, he's a big star. I used to see him on TV. Exactly. Yeah. And she happens to be one of those people. And she's so infatuated with him in that moment. You know, she can just tell she's, she's a really funny character, even though she's briefly there, but it's just so funny. Um, so she starts fangirling him and with no shame, he decides he's going to sleep with her. And uh, so Miles goes back to his place. And what happens after that is uh, he's awoken in the morning by a naked Jack who uh, apparently her husband walked in on them having sex and he had to like get the hell out of there. 
and had to run. I think they were like he was in a town that they weren't even in the Solvang, same town. Yeah. yeah, so we had to like run five miles away. Steep, right? Yeah. Uh, Luckily, it was the mid, well very early hours of the morning, and yeah. no one saw him. <laughs> Just he says running he runs through, through an ostrich farm, and that they were mean yeah. fuckers. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, but the the worst part of it all is that he left his wallet there. Not only did he leave his wallet there, he left the the, the, the custom-made wedding rings. The wedding rings are in the his wallet. Specially ordered, yes. inscriptions in Sanskrit, and he has to get it. He has to get it back. And, uh, of course, for Miles, it's like, of course we're not doing that. Like, how are we just going to break in and get that? But Miles, being a good friend, he decides to do it. And it's one of the funniest parts of this of the film too, mm-hmm. when he goes back into the apartment to, you know, retrieve get, the wallet. Retrieve yeah. the wallet, and he's sneaking around when he begins to hear some particular noises down the hall, and he gets closer and closer, only for it to reveal that the you know the waitress and her husband are having very 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 passionate sex, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and they they clearly have one of those uh fantasies or whatever you'd call it that yeah the guy gets turned on by the fact that his wife's cheating on him and <laughs> that's turning her and yes. they're just and Jack Miles, was Miles has just walked into this yeah. house and it's not what he's expecting to find. Yeah, no. But in a way I, lo- I love this bit from yeah. in the screenplay underneath the the dialogue between the man and uh and Cammy the waitress. It just says, Whoa Miles manages to tear his eyes away from this nature documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that <was laughs> that's funny. how they describe the scene—a nature documentary. Yeah, which uh, paints a perfect very, picture. I mean, it's, it's animalistic, is what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, and they're very turned on by it. And so, I guess Jack was the catalyst for their, you know, the rebirth of their sex lives. In a way, they should be thankful mm-hmm. to him. But anyway, so he manages. I, I got the sense they do that regularly. Like that's their thing, mm. but. Well, in the book, it's different. In the book, apparently, she they hadn't had sex for a while. Oh yeah, in the book, it's no. For, I think the movie, but it's just for the. It's yeah. just meant to be funny. It's yeah, amazing. yeah, and yeah, and so you know, but he does manage to get the wallet, and he gets the hell out of there. Uh, only the guy does spot him. Yeah, only <laughs> the guy does spot him, and he runs after him, full blown naked, and we do get a frontal nudity scene of the <laughs> but it's so funny like he gets in the car where jack is waiting for him and this large man just comes running and the shot is from the perspective of the car that's across the street and you see this fat man just like running towards the car the shot never breaks so you see that entire sequence of this naked man and his stuff just like jiggling around and it's just such a funny scene and they get the hell out of there. So there's a great picture of uh, Alexander Payne directing this guy, uh, showing him how to yes. run into the car with his hands up. So and it's, it's a great picture. I I highly recommend you look at this. <laughs> the actor MC Ganey, good on him. Very brave <laughs> man. He just went all out. Yeah, and, and it's uh, all for, this is all just for the comedy value, and also yeah. to just kind of drive home just how low jack is sinking <laughs> i mean if you think about how did they end up at this point you know yeah because jack because that's what this is all about with miles it's just why didn't we just go home the last night that's we could have just hung out and yet you 
insisted on going. Like, he gets his comeuppance. He's already had his face beaten in by one woman who he's <laughs> yeah. who found out he was married. He's he's just taking this completely unnecessary risk when they could just have a nice, quiet evening together and just laugh about their adventures. Oh, but that reminds me of a very uh, revealing scene of Jack because, you know, when he tells Miles, like, you know, you know everything about literature and film and wine, but you don't understand my plight. And the way he delivers that line is just such a, I think, good moment for his character. It's almost like this is a struggle for him, too, in a way. But he embraces it. But he knows he has this problem where he's very sexual and he can't control himself. He's aware of that, in a way. He just has to do it. But he's just not fighting it. That's yeah, the I'm, thing. I'm not sure uh, to what degree the idea of sex addiction was in the mm. kind of culture at, at this point in time. Mm. early 2000s. I don't know if maybe this was something that kind of started to get a bit more attention maybe. more recently. I'm not or sure. maybe we were just younger and we weren't so aware, aware of, it. of it. But it's definitely become a thing that people would, would yeah. claim as an actual kind of addiction. Yeah, sex addiction. Right. So, and that's kind of what... When we, he says that yeah. about his plight, that's the sense you get of Jack. Oh, maybe he's really not able to control this yeah and yeah. you can just tell just by the comments and everything that because with just, stephanie he has a real romance and right. with this waitress it's just for the sake of it like he just needs yeah. to get it yeah. you know and he says that that's my plight but he's just not really fighting it he's mm -hmm. just allowing it but you do get the sense that he's aware and i think if it would have if he was the main character we might have gotten all this insight as to that struggle maybe Mm -hmm. But since he's not, we just get a little glimpse of what that is for him. Uh, so anyways, yeah, so after that, they finally go home. There's, a, there's a couple of good scenes. Uh, there's Jack crashing the car to make it... Yeah. When that, he realizes uh, Yeah, that's what I was hey, going to say. my face yeah. looks like it's been in a car crash. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Crashes the car. We've, we've already kind of mentioned that scene before. So um, he needs to make it look... He needs to justify those yeah. bruises and those scars for Christine... And so he decides that a car accident is a good way of, you know, justifying that. So he decides the to... The only problem is it's Miles' car. And he decides to crash it without telling him yeah. until he's actually doing it. <laughs> I mean, it's a really fucked up thing to do. Uh, but Miles is uh, surprisingly... But Jack solves all his problems with money anyway. He's like, oh, I'll buy you another yeah, one. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Jack, that's his... One of the things that's kind of led him to be so far out of control is there's no financial problem for him anymore yep. so he's he's marrying this very rich rich girl and so he's he's just spending money like crazy yeah and and it works he goes back to they go back to christine's and uh they sell the story and and that's that so mm -hmm. then they but we do get like the 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 ending you know we get to go to the wedding we do get yeah, to see miles meets his his ex-wife and and sees that not only has she moved on she's also pregnant she's now pregnant. and um, you can see that really stings for him yeah there's there's the scenes with miles he gets his his expensive wine and drinks it in a fast food restaurant yeah that's a very sad scene. he starts to spiral but then it's a phone call from from maya that brings him out of his funk because yep 
she, it so he'd already called her and left a big long message mm-hmm. uh that's very apologetic well, and right. tender and he he tries to make amends again he he wasn't the one doing what jack did yeah so she can come to forgive him eventually in her call back to him in the message she leaves she also mentions that she got a letter from him so maybe yeah. he also wrote something that we don't see yeah right so this was five weeks after that that trip i think it's in the script and so it's five weeks when she finally gives him a call back and the reason why she took a while too is because she says she wanted to finish his book yeah. and so up to this point we get a sense that he is a good writer but we don't really know for sure I mean, he did get rejected, but the way she just goes on about the book, you know, it's kind of almost a last minute reveal about his talent that he's actually really good. It is a window into his soul. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it's publishable, this 850 page monstrosity from an unknown writer, that's different, but it's a window into his soul and she wants to get to know him better. Yeah. And she's, she loved it. She loved the book and, she had time to think about what he had to say in that letter. And it made her feel for him, yeah. feel sympathy for him, Yeah, hearing his story through those words. Yeah. And it comes exactly. back to that earlier scene about getting to know the Pinot, getting to mm. to understand it, giving it time to grow on you. She's, yeah, exactly. She's then been through that journey. She's read everything he's written. Right. She's She's gone into his world. Right. That's Yeah, that's perfect. And so in the book, it's completely different. So in the book... She, she goes, goes to the wedding. To the wedding. Yeah. She's invited to the wedding by Jack. And she, so I think Miles calls her up the day of the wedding and she says she's not going to go, but then she does show up. I'm so glad they changed that because it's such a cliche. Like It feels right in, within the world of the book. But yeah, yeah. On, on screen, it's a bit of a cliche. Yeah, because it's the ending of a rom-com. It's, it's yeah. too exactly. It's it's too convenient. Even in the book, when I when I was reading it, it was like okay. When it says, and then he heard a voice, and he turned around. I'm like, I just knew it was her. You know what I mean? It's just one of those like, oh, okay. Yeah. So been here before. It it was too much for me. So I'm glad that this is where I feel like the film is much better because it it kind of has an ambiguity to it. Like we don't know what he wrote to her. We can only imagine. And it leaves with him. The film ends with him driving up to her place. And it's kind of cool because that is happening as you're listening to her message to him. So it's the whole sequence. And it ends with him knocking on the door. And you don't know if it's going to open or not. So it kind of leaves it a little bit open-ended. In the book, it's pretty much a done deal that they are together. I think she says something like, oh, you know, we don't belong here. And they leave the wedding together. So... It's more of a for sure thing that they got together. In the film, you engage your imagination more. It kind of goes back to what you said about their their uh, first night together. Mm. It's just the door closes and we don't know what happens. Right. We just get the sense that it's very special for them. And then that's the same thing. It's We get to see him knock on the door. Yeah. But we don't see her answer it. We don't. That's when it ends. And it allows us to then project what we want to happen onto the end. We get to imagine it. We yeah. get to finish the story. And I think I remember when I saw it, I saw it in high school when I was in high school. Well, mm-hmm. do they or do they not? But now, years later, I'm like, that's great. That's mm-hmm. a perfect ending because you're including the audience at that point. You're inviting them to 
to imagine those characters. And I think for a writer, for for a filmmaker, that's the biggest, the one of the most important goals is to actually go inside the minds of the people watching the story and for them to imagine what those characters would do. I mean, I think that's the biggest compliment mm-hmm. to a filmmaker. So I would say I enjoyed the time I spent reading Miles's perspective, the Miles of the novel. Yep. Being inside his his world for a for a short time because mm-hmm. he he brings things to life. He he gets you interested in this place and this wine and all and the writing yeah. and all the things he's passionate about and he's got this fantastic vocabulary that he can deploy and and uh his way of perceiving Jack and describing Jack to you is is just wonderful. Yeah. The screenplay itself, I think we've been really lucky in different episodes that we've done because we've done more than one where the book the sorry the screenplay has been so true to the mm-hmm. book that it's based on silence with an, was another case mm-hmm. of that that just the the screenplay was so well written and mm-hmm. tried to capture all of the essence and and even I, some of the yeah. same dialogue a, th- a lot of the they, dialogue comes directly lifted, from the book yeah they lifted yeah. and it it tells you that the the source material is great if you're able to just lift straight out of the source material put it onto another page and it stands on its own right and they can rearrange it and they can they can make minor tweaks here and there but essentially the story and the characters remain fundamentally the same absolutely yeah i love watching it again i love being in that world and immersing myself in in those characters in the book and uh learning a little bit more about the wine it, it's great it's a very very charming film for sure That is the end of the episode. Thank you all for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Please do recommend us to any of your friends that you think would be interested, as the more listeners we have, the easier it will be to keep doing this. Do check out the 21strewrite.com, that's spelt with a two and a one, the 21strewrite.com, and subscribe to us using the RSS feed in your favorite podcast app. Thank you.